take charge of your leadership development. Join our How to Take the Lead Substack community for bonus materials, exclusive content, and discussions that will challenge and change the way you lead. Visit howtotakethelead.com to find out more. So, welcome back to Series 2 of How to Take the Lead. We are back with more irreverent chat, gaffes and slips, <laughs> even more than Liz Truss on her routine media interviews. <laughs> oh God, that, that is something for us to aspire to, isn't it? Oh my goodness me. <laughs> You're listening to How to Take the Lead with Lee Griffith and Carrie Ann Wade. Two corporate colleagues turned business besties who question everything we've ever learned about leadership. What started with us putting the world to rights over a gin after work is now a weekly show challenging the myths and perceptions and exploring what leadership looks like in the modern day. We'll also be sharing our experiences and stories along the way. Visit howtotakethelead.com to find our show notes, subscribe to our email list for extra goodies as well as catch up on previous episodes. And we're now on social media so get involved in the conversations by following us on Twitter or Instagram at howtotakethelead. How has your summer been? My summer has been lovely, thank you very much. But I'm, yeah, I can't believe it's autumnal vibes. We're on series two already. Where has the time gone? I know. It feels like such a long time since we were literally practically in our underwear recording parts of series one. And now I've got all the layers on. (laughs) Yeah. But what's what's the the latest on the reels and the TikTok? It's sweater weather. (laughs) It's definitely sweater weather. But yes, how was your summer break? Yeah, it's been good. I've, um, yeah, I've been trying not to get too agitated with world events. I've been on a little holidays and I've been reading lots of books and generally trying to preserve my own mental well-being. <laughs> I love that and hopefully How to Take the Lead Series 2 might provide a small release and some therapy around some of the, the not letting world events get to you stuff. <laughs> it is brilliant to be back and we have had so many ideas and suggestions for topics to cover and there's certainly been a lot going on in the news over recent weeks and I know for a fact if we'd been recording I would have got my soapbox out many 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 times. (laughs) Your soapbox would have taken a batter in we'd have needed to get you a new one to stand on. So I thought it would be uh, timely, if not cathartic even, if we start this series with a bit of a check-in on what we think of the state of leadership in general, I suppose, as we head towards the end of the year. So really broad question to kick us off. What What's been impressing you and what's really pissed you off in the world of leadership since the last series let's start with the good shall we and go for what's impressed us but I have to say it's been a little bit of a struggle I haven't been you know leafing through a wealth of uh, examples of impressive leadership but there has been something that that's happened that sprung to mind for me as an example of a leader being true to their values and their purpose so Patagonia the outdoor clothing company and their chief executive Yvonne Chouinard has fundamentally changed the way their business runs by moving towards a charitable trust and investing all profits into combating climate change, which is a cause which is very close to the heart of the business and something that they feel very strongly about. So for me, I felt like that was a really great example of a leader 
being true to their values, considering what their passion and purpose is all about and doing something about it. I have to say there will be critics. So in brackets, critics will argue that as a billionaire, that might be something that's much easier to do (laughs) than your average person on the street. But I did think, you know, it was also an opportunity for others to reflect on what's important to them and whether there are even tiny changes that they can make in terms of their leadership to think about how they're delivering on their purpose and and sticking to their values. So for Mm -hmm. me, that was a definite positive example that had a bit of a feel-good factor and I thought you know what good on him good on his business yeah I was loving that so how about you Lee? I think that the one thing that struck me over the last couple of months has been um I don't know if you use Medium at all yes yeah online magazine place the new chief exec of that did an open letter sharing information that he'd shared with his staff about a restructure and some redundancies that they were making which obviously that isn't in and of itself positive news but it was the style and the tone in which he handled that bad negative poor news that um struck me because he did it with empathy and understanding of what those colleagues of his would be going through. He did it with openness and transparency behind the decision-making and making it clear that it was nothing to do with any of them personally. It was a realignment of strategies. It wasn't even a cost-saving thing. It was a strategy realignment, which meant that they needed to remove certain posts. And And there was a certain part of it where he made a point about colleagues not necessarily having the opportunity or time to say goodbye to people properly and stuff like that which I thought you know it just went that one step further in terms of demonstrating empathy demonstrating understanding and I think of course it was going to be incredibly hard for those staff involved but I think it was a real signal of demonstrating how you can sensitively handle bad news Mm -hmm. in a way that still takes people with you Yeah, that sounds really compassionate in terms of an approach. And like you say, going that one step further, that extra mile to share something that's really difficult, but in a way that is as compassionate and kind as possible. We'll put it in the show notes because, as I say, it is publicly available, the announcement. And I do think it's an example of good communications from leadership. So those are what's impressed us, what's really got your goat over the last couple of months. (laughs) I'm going to save some of what's got my goat because I've got a feeling we might move on to that and I don't want to make the whole episode uh, maybe hugely political in nature. So I'm going to go with the Centre Park's debacle that's what I'm going to call it the centre parts debacle so in response to the national morning period and the date of the queen's funeral I mean centre parts could not have handled that any worse could they we're closing everything and all our guests have to go and stay somewhere else for the night what the actual that was terrible and uh then the decision was backtracked on because they could see the damage that it had caused. But the damage had already been done, hadn't it? Yeah. Uh, that was just terrible decision making, I think, from the leadership team. And the bit extra bit that got my goat <laughs> was yeah. that I feel like the PR team there took a lot of the flack 
mm-hmm. around some of that decision making. And I was really interested in the conversations it sparked afterwards about sort of comms and leadership and the fact that, you know, poor PR and poor communications was getting quite a lot of the blame for that when actually it was poor decision making and poor leadership that was the issue. And yeah, I think there's something to be said about the fact that there was a team that had to be involved in in sharing some of that and then sharing the backtrack and trying to manage that reputational damage but sometimes you just can't polish that poop can you that was the phrase that just came to my mind you can't polish a turd no and it says a lot I don't know if you looked at their leadership team and the, the formation of that leadership team and the term pale male and stale really shone through shones I don't think that's a word <laughs> really shone through it does make you think about the diversity of voice and thought in their leadership team it does make you think about they obviously don't seem to have a big presence of customer voice or customer experience at that top team they certainly don't seem to have any strategic communications input and so I wonder how much uh their decision making was challenged before mm. they made the decision I'd hazard a guess not at all no, no. <laughs> and if it was then it definitely wasn't listened to was it so no. and I know there's stuff we talk about a lot about understanding the impacts of the decisions that you're making and and like you say that diversity of thought and voice and that opportunity for challenge um, in the process of making those decisions and that just wasn't there so uh, I'm just going to stick with that one example because I think there's going to be opportunities for it yeah. to, us to explore some others but for me it was definitely the Centre Parks debacle that really hacked me off over the summer how about you Lee I'm interested to know what's been <laughs> what's been on your mind <laughs> it might be easier to tell you what hasn't but <laughs> I think the one that's been playing on my mind over the last couple of weeks so quite a recent example is Stephen Bartlett the man who can do no wrong in so many people's eyes but he made I thought quite a short-sighted comment in the last couple of weeks about Generation Z which apparently I'm not in I realised when I <laughs> I'm in the same day. club as you I'm not in it either <laughs> But he made this comment about them being the least resilient and how his fear for the workforce is that these younger people coming into work don't know what hard work is and this, that and the other. And it really disappointed me to hear someone saying that. And I don't think he's alone. There's probably a lot of people that talk, you know, this whole talk about snowflakes and the general view that oh it wasn't as hard as in my day and I I think there's a bigger discussion to be had here because I think actually fundamentally what's happening and I'm I'm almost in awe and wish I had had the balls at, at that age to be really clear on what my boundaries are and I think of course there are the minority of of younger people as there are older people who will do the bare minimum who will look at excuses not to get involved or do work and you get that in uh, all walks of life and so that I don't think it's exclusive to any particular age or generation but I do think the, the younger this generation z as they call it are just getting smarter on what they want perhaps aren't following traditional career paths and they're saying, no, I'm going to stick up for my boundaries. And I think that's a good thing that we should be 
celebrating and learning from and thinking how can we embrace that and I would love to see organizations as part of their workforce strategies when they're thinking about multi-generational workforce thinking more about how do we start to respect people's boundaries and make that more of a conversation that can be discussed rather than just going these younger people don't know they haven't lived they don't know what hard work is because I don't think that's true Oh, you're pushing all the right buttons for me with this one, Lee, because I, you know what I'm like about boundary setting. It's one of the topics that is dear to my heart and that I talk about quite a lot in the work that I do through Cat's Pyjamas. So I'm absolutely on board with you with the boundary setting stuff. And like you say, slightly in awe because, you know, I think there's been a culture previously of being always on, being available 24-7, having to always go that, that expectation do you know what I was going to say of going that extra mile but I think the issue's become that when you go that extra mile that's just seen as the norm rather than the exception so I think you're absolutely right yeah quite misaligned with maybe what's going on in terms of that comment there from Stephen Bartlett because he's gone straight to the negative rather than really looking at, at the positives of that which is it's people sticking up for what they believe in being true to their values trying to get the I know it's a word that sometimes we roll our eyes at, but trying to get that balance right between work, life, well-being, everything else. So why, yeah, why are we having a go at people who are being really assertive in setting their own boundaries when yeah. it's something, I mean, I'm definitely not going to because it's something I talk about a lot with people about yeah. how to do that. So good on them. But yeah, oh, I like that. I think it has the risk of almost snowballing because I do think he is verbalizing what a lot of people are perhaps saying in the workplaces and we're seeing that now with people trying to push people to come back into the office for example so this old traditional sense of and I think I saw something I, I I have to admit I haven't watched it so I could be completely misquoting and I love that <laughs> warning <laughs> warning in advance I might be getting this totally wrong <laughs> but I, I saw something with Simon Sinek and he was saying something similar he was in conversation funnily enough with Stephen Bartlett yes on yes. on his podcast on Stephen's podcast wasn't he and he was he was saying the same thing that he's worried about the resilience I think of younger generations and yeah it's sort of along the same lines of what Stephen Bartlett said yeah but once you start getting these big names that more leaders are looking up to and I worry that people are going to start taking that and thinking it's okay to be rather than looking at the flip side which is we need to be looking after our people more. We need to be respectful of boundaries. We need to be setting our own boundaries as leaders. I just think that we could be seeing this whole wave of people just trying to put younger people back in their place, which I just don't think is right. No, and particularly for us when we're talking about future generations of leaders and what does a future leader need to look like, we need to be open to the fact that people's lives are changing the way that people want to operate in the workplace is changing and we need to move with that rather than being stuck in this sort of old school anyway we're probably going into something else now but that old school kind of like I must see you the hours I'm here to believe that you're actually working rather than trusting people and empowering people to do what you employ them to do yeah and we know that with younger well, not not exclusively with younger people, but there is more of a trend to have multi-careers, this kind of multi-hyphenate work mm. 
environment so that people might only spend a couple of days doing this job and that job and therefore that expectation that they're going to go above and beyond for one employer over another is also a bit outdated if you think about it. Absolutely and I think in the current climate which I know we'll probably want to touch on in this episode as well the fact that we think people are going to be able to get by having their just their one job is probably very naive. We're already seeing in certain industries people having to take second and third jobs to be able to survive and pay their bills so I think even more reason for leaders to need to think flexibly and be adaptable. At Cats Pyjamas we empower brilliant communications professionals to grow and thrive in their careers through mentoring, collaboration and community. If you would like to find out more or subscribe to our mailing list you can visit cats-pyjamas.co.uk where you can also book your free 30 minute discovery call. Whether you're looking to refresh and re-energise your approach to work, focus on new goals and aspirations or work through a current challenge we are here to empower you to move forward. I'm so passionate about supporting comms pros to grow and thrive and I'm really looking forward to working with you hi there if you're enjoying this episode of how to take the lead please hit subscribe and leave a review or a rating we'd also love to hear your stories and thoughts on today's topic please dm us at how to take the lead on instagram or twitter or tag us into your socials using the hashtag how to take the lead we alluded to the changes in the monarchy there's also been some quite big changes at the top of our government how are you feeling about all of that and I I suppose my my broader question is what do you think it's signaling from a leadership point of view? I think it's quite interesting isn't it actually because I feel like there's something that's happening well there's definitely something that's happening where it's more than slightly at odds with the realism of everyday life when I think about the government I don't think they're at all in touch with how it feels to be part of society right now um, at all and I think from the point of view of the government, my perception and my observations would be we're shifted even more into that sort of hierarchy, dictatorship, we know best style of leadership from government, mm. from individuals and a collective that seem out of touch and are not listening and not acting on what matters to people most is is how it feels or not what matters to the people in the majority. There may be more interested in what's happening to the people who are the richest rather than the people who uh, need help and support. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's some quite strong signals there in terms of a style and approach to leadership that's happening within the government. But I've reflected and I think it is slightly at odds actually with what's happening from my perception within the monarchy because mm-hmm. I feel that although what's happened with the passing of the Queen and the traditions that came with that. And it felt very traditional in terms of the handling of that whole situation. I do feel like now we're moving into a space where it feels like the royal family are lining things up for perhaps a slightly different take on Mm. how they want to lead and how they want to be perceived. So perhaps a slightly more modern approach and getting the next generation of leaders ready for that and positioning mm-hmm. people to take on different roles and maybe bringing it in tighter so there's less royals doing stuff out there in the public domain so they're bringing it in and making it more close-knit but in a way I think that's perhaps responding to some of the people who don't see the point in the monarchy and don't want 
hundreds of royals presiding at things and and turning up at stuff I feel like they are trying to respond to that in a way that's perhaps slightly at odds with the way the government are approaching leadership so Mm. that that that's my summary of how I'm perceiving things at the moment but probably open to being completely wrong about some of that and sadly probably completely right about other bits of it (laughs) It is interesting from the monarchy point of view with perhaps some of the more, not junior, the younger members Mm. of the family stepping up to more senior roles. Will that start to bring a different approach to stuff or will it not? Will they get sucked into the, this is the way the firm works, which is the language that everyone uses. Which I find very uncomfortable. And I would like to see a move away from that because I think that gives off vibes that I'm not entirely comfortable with. It's a really, well, it was interesting to me aside, probably not to you or to anyone listening, but before... (laughs) I love that. Let's just share some stuff that nobody's going to be interested in. (laughs) A couple of months ago, it was before the Queen passed and before the change in leadership in the government, I read the second book in the House of Cards uh, trilogy by um michael can't think of his surname and it's called to play the king and interestingly when you read this these were written in the 90s or something and he has this foreword whilst the books weren't based on particular people they were based on his interpretation of certain things mm. that were happening anyway the premise of the storyline of the second book without giving any spoilers is that the new king is in place and there is a new prime minister in place and the king wishes to be more politically active on things like Mm. that that he is interested in and the government doesn't want that to happen and this political spat between the two of them trying to get the higher ground and I read it at the time definitely I had Charles in my mind as the Mm. king that they were talking about in in the book but it's been so funny watching what's been playing out between Liz Truss and, yeah. and the King over the last couple of weeks. I'm like, oh my God, they've literally just read and are playing out this book. <laughs> so if anyone wants to know the ending, read the they've, second book. <laughs> they've, they've, made, they've made the book into a real life movie already, playing out in front of our very eyes. <laughs> I think one of the things that struck me from the monarchy's handling in the change, aside from, I suppose, all the pomp and everything that's been happening and whatever people's views are on that I think the one of the interesting moves that stood out to me was the staff at Clarence House that were put on notice and how that was handled Mm -hmm. and obviously it was in the news at the time and now completely understand that probably in their contracts this is a natural HR process that is followed and whatever but I thought the timing was really poor yeah really poor and I thought oh this really doesn't show compassion for staff that who are having to deal with you know they're probably mourning in their own way as well because of stuff that's happening and but then also worrying about their own personal position whilst also trying to support a transition happening and all of that and I just thought "Mm, this isn't the great first step in terms of thinking about care showing you caring for for the people around Mm -hmm. you yeah, absolutely. I'm interested that you've not touched yet that much on the government stuff. I don't know if that's because you don't feel like your soapbox is sturdy enough to handle all that you might have to say on that. But what's your sense around the changes in government and the leadership and what we've seen so far? 
and conscious that we've got the rest of the episode to put some other stuff in this could be like a bonus episode I'm sure from you Lee I mean I don't I I what what is it to say I I think that there is still this sense of populism ruling and it's really interesting when you've looked at the process of who was elected leader and the MPs definitely feeling differently to the party members who voted and that sense of populism within within the party. I don't think they've got a bloody clue what they're doing. I find it fascinating that they are trying to position themselves as being a new government. And in the work I do with leaders stepping into new jobs, I do talk a lot to them about distancing yourself from the legacy of your predecessor if you're starting in a new organisation. But I think this government's taken it too far. Mm. And I think that's impacting on their integrity even more because they're almost denying the fact that they've been in power for 12 years and, and actually our new prime minister has been in the cabinet for, for 10 of those 12 years. So to act like they're completely new and yeah, we've got to give them a break yeah. and all of that whilst they find their feet, I, I just, you know, it's reeks of BS. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we don't like BS no. here. <laughs> so that I don't think they've handled that particularly well. I don't think some of the moves that they've made early on absolutely we're in this tricky time financially with the cost of living crisis and whatnot of course there's been calls for them to show that they've got a plan and they're going to take action and of course they're going to need to show that they've got a grip of the problem but I don't think they've done that legwork in terms of really understanding the problems and really listening to to people and I think if you look at the budget for example the fallout over the budget and their response to the fallout mm. more importantly shows a complete lack of understanding both of their privilege and also a lack of empathy with the people it's going to affect and I think it just sets a really poor tone from what I think we're going to continue to see sorry no I feel properly depressed now let's move us on I'm not I'm not sure things are going to get any better if I'm honest so we've touched on the cost of living crisis and I know you and I have privately been having quite a few mm-hmm. conversations about this over the last couple of weeks we do talk between series people yeah um, we, we are real friends it's not all an act just for the podcast <laughs> we know obviously it's the thing that is just everywhere you turn there is you're either seeing it in the news or you're experiencing it firsthand whether it's the bills that you're getting or whatever there's so much uncertainty there's also so little trust and belief in the government and in other agencies that they're actually going to be able to do anything about it and if anyone's listened to any episode of how to take lead before we we've often talked about the fact that staff and communities are looking to leaders of their local organisations more than ever to speak up on the issues that matter most to them because they have more trust in that kind of leadership than big leadership or, or government or the media. And I think if there was ever a time that leaders need to be seen to be making a stance and talking out on behalf of the people that they serve, 
this is that time. So I suppose my question is, what does that look like? Yeah. What, what, what can or should leaders be doing right now? I think we've probably touched on some of what people are not doing, which lends itself to what they should be doing. Yeah. So for, there are a couple of things that sprang to mind for me. And I think there's something about genuinely actively listening and looking for areas that as leaders, we can take action on that will make a genuine difference to people. So really understanding. So that point you made just now about like lack of empathy, lack of understanding about what's really going on for people. I think as leaders, we really need to make those efforts to understand that and mm. to look at where there are opportunities for us to potentially take action to support people and make that difference. I think clear, transparent communications and that signposting so when there's stuff that we can't do as leaders for whatever reason can we signpost and and get people to support that they they can access to help them I think is really important and again you used a, a really great example with medium earlier on in the conversation about that compassionate empathetic transparent communications and being mm. really open about stuff and I think now more than ever as leaders we need to do that and I think the point you made about taking a stance is really important so actually as leaders are we in a position where we can lobby um, and mm. and can have a voice and speak out more loudly and I'll use the NHS as an example because that's the one that I'm living through at the moment in in terms of my day job but absolutely so many individual organizations and individual leaders doing things to try and put that support mm. in place for people whether it was supporting uh, staff to get school uniforms over the summer when they couldn't mm. perhaps afford them setting up food banks mm. like making one-off payments to try and make a contribution um to support people but the thing that I think is is proven to be a real issue is there's no consistency because each mm. organization's been left to do their own thing and some organizations are perhaps in positions where they can do more than others for whatever yeah. reason yeah. finances for example so I think what's been really positive is seeing membership bodies like NHS providers and NHS Confed reaching out and liaising with leaders across the NHS to really represent and lobby for a more national centralized approach and action from the NHS as a whole mm. and so I think the more that leaders can get into that space and support some of that lobbying around this issue the better because it's not going to be fixed by one person doing one thing it needs yeah. to come as a collective so that that was my initial thinking I completely agree with you and I've seen some of those examples that you've you mentioned and I think uh, few places yesterday were announcing subsidies for staff in the canteens for example and stuff like that just because staff weren't getting hot meals at home so completely agree if there is the ability for you to take actions locally do it if you can use collaborations locally yes you might not have resources within your own individual organization but the strength and power of a collaborative locally seeing where you can perhaps support and help each other can go a long way if you're not already having conversations with counterparts in other organizations and, and thinking beyond the perhaps traditional links you might have into maybe some of those more community-based people or places as well would be really important I think using the media is is super powerful and using your voice as a leader I, I think no leader at, at the head of an organization should be silent on these kind of issues they should be 
a need to be not only speaking up, but I suppose painting the picture and sharing the stories mm. to demonstrate the impact that decisions are having in their organisation, in their community, with the the clients that they see or, or the customers that they see, obviously sharing with permission and all of that. But I think often it can be easy to make broad statements. And I think until we start to really shine a light on it's this person in this way that's impacted, you know, really tangible stuff that you can see, you can feel, you can understand, then I I think then that collective voice starts to to make more of an impact at a, a regional and a national level. I think the other thing that leaders need to be thinking about, and it kind of brings us back to the point we were talking about at the very beginning, but it's the sense of what is goodwill and what are the asks that you're asking of your staff if you're asking them to put in extra hours because things are really busy. Actually, what does that mean if they're doing that unpaid, for example, or if they can't afford extra childcare or, mm. or whatever their personal circumstances will be? Just putting on more pressure as a leader can be, or even just how you ask of support of your staff, you've got to be really mindful of. The narrative around getting people back in the office, I've seen some organisations say, well, if we get more people back in the office, actually it's going to be a good thing for them because they're going to have heating. Mm. But they've not thought about the cost of Getting travel to the office, or, yeah. <laughs> you know, they have to pay for their food or it, it could be more expensive and more of a concern for staff thinking I've got to suddenly now start going into the office because my employers asked that of me. Um, and it could actually start to drive staff to look elsewhere or look for places that are going to offer that flexibility so I think the ripple effect of stuff that you're asking of as leaders has got to be considered as well mm. yeah I that makes sense yeah I couldn't agree more I want to take you back to, to 2021 <laughs> I don't know why what I don't know what vibe I thought was coming then I felt like that needed some sort of like little musical interlude what what era are you taking me back to man yeah, not that far but 2021 when we were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and we were we did this thing called the modern leaders report we did um it was research that we had from people that had been listening to our show when we were doing it on Instagram we compiled a report that was looking at what the different skills that leaders of the future needed to be demonstrating. And there were three kind of key themes that they need to be values driven, prioritizing well-being and adaptable. Those were the key areas for for the future leader. How far away do you think we are from that ambition? Oh, well, where do I start? Let's start. Okay, you've mentioned values driven first. So for me in that space, I feel like from a leadership point of view, it is a real mixed bag here. I think we've shared some examples today where people have really been true to their values in that leadership space. But we've also shared examples that clearly show people are not. And I think the thing that I've been reflecting on a little bit is the fact that potentially at the moment 
we're seeing role models and examples of leaders who actually are being driven by their own personal values and they are demonstrating these it's just that quite a lot of us don't agree with them so it's a weird one isn't it to try and judge because it's like actually some of these people who we might be professing to think have poor leadership skills and are not demonstrating good leadership are potentially actually they being true to their own values because perhaps Mm -hmm. they are just living out some of the things that they genuinely believe in, which is quite worrying. So the values piece, uh, yeah, was quite interesting. I would definitely say I think well-being and prioritising well-being does seem to be something that's higher up on the agenda with more people in general. And I see and I hear more leaders talking about well-being. I am seeing more leaders demonstrating, putting their own well-being first. And we've talked about that before. You do have to role model good well-being mm-hmm. behaviours to make people feel like it's okay to put their well-being first. But I do think there is that fine line to tread because as well as putting your own well-being first as a leader, you do need to ensure that you're helping those that you lead to prioritise their own well-being. And we've just talked about the cost of living crisis, which is having a huge impact on people's health and well-being. And we need to find ways to support people around that agenda. But I think we're we're making more progress in, in that well-being space, I think. And then in terms of the adaptability um, aspect of it all, I personally don't think we've made as much progress as leaders as we should have done. And I think the pandemic, if an opportunity had to come out of the COVID pandemic, and I say COVID now because I feel like cost of living is our next pandemic, if Mm. I'm honest with you. Mm. So what should have come out of COVID was an opportunity for us as leaders to really grasp innovation really focus on thinking about new ways of working and how things can be different for the workforce, different for our client groups, different for how we run our our organisations and businesses. And I feel like many leaders have missed the opportunity to do that now. And I think I'm seeing more leaders quickly retreating back into that old approach of I have to see you to believe that you're working, issuing almost like three line whips to have to be in the office to do certain Mm -hmm. things that quite frankly, sometimes even in my own experience, you follow the three line whip and you think, oh, we're all now sat in the same office in different rooms on the same virtual call. So I could actually just be at home, let's be honest. So for me, I think we've missed an opportunity really as leaders to grasp what positives could have come out of the COVID pandemic in terms of the way we lead, the way we work, mm-hmm. the way we run our teams and organisations. So that, yeah, they're my thoughts, Lee. It's, it's, it's interesting that final piece that you were saying, because I, I remember us talking, I don't know if it was on the podcast or on, on the Insta series, but we were talking about this opportunity that leaders have and our hope and this was this was in the midst of the pandemic so it probably was on insta we were talking about it um that leaders didn't just go back to the oh right well we just need to get back to where we were and doing things how we were doing Mm. it and at, at the time we were talking about this concept of strategy and what is strategy and um the notion of a five year strategy is out of the window now you need to be more nimble and agile and all of that we re-articulated our hope at the time was that the staff Mm. are not wanting to just go back to how it was because how it was wasn't great and everyone did step up did show that they could work differently were given new responsibilities and opportunities and demonstrated their worth through the pandemic 
And so there's almost this hope of a reward for doing so. Yeah. Um, the, at the other end. And so, yeah, you, it's a shame to see that what we had hoped wouldn't happen has happened. I don't know whether that is because, you know, there are some companies you look at some of the big companies, particularly overseas, have taken a stance. Mm. They've closed their offices. They have absolutely seized the momentum. Are we less adaptable in the UK because we're so driven by the centre and how civil service and politics drive the way business and public services mm. works and because they've got that mentality of you need to be yeah. working in this way and you need to be and they have this thing of you know the free line whip and all of that it, it has that just permeated down so far into the psyche of yeah <laughs> of it's the working world Mm, interesting and qu and quite possibly because you're right we have seen other organizations do things very differently and grasp that opportunity and most of them have not been UK based or UK yeah. you know origins in terms of their business so that like yeah quite an interesting point you raise there I think and you look at other countries like Finland and the steps they've made recently about reducing the working week in terms of mm. introducing a shared parental leave in the true sense and and that's yeah. been going on for some time though, hasn't it? So that mm. culture and that way of thinking has been there for a lot longer. And I think, like you said, our hope was that, that, that a positive to come out of such a horrible thing like the pandemic would be that we would get on that and grasp yeah. that for ourselves and it doesn't feel like we have. And it feels like, again, I don't know if it's a, a cultural thing in, in this country that we do seem to galvanize and pull together in a crisis and cost of living I do think it is the next pandemic it's not going to be resolved quickly is it? it's no. going to be sustained and it's going to cause a lot of issues for people and you know hopefully we will see some galvanization but I think the thing that we that we don't do is we don't take those lessons on board and learn them and then embed them to sustain them we go okay that was a really difficult couple of years well done gang you all pulled together like you say, back to how it was before. And it's like, yeah. oh, why do we keep yeah. doing this? It's like let's, a cycle. Let's, let's dust off that document that we were working on three years ago <laughs> and just try and make it work now. Yeah, absolutely. I feel hopeful in some senses because, you know, there, there are subtle shifts. There are certain areas where absolutely you can see individuals that are taking steps forward across all these three areas. I think the, the tone of our political landscape the tone of our media unfortunately I think our is still kind of pressing it all of that down and pushing against it so I, I think there's a lot more that needs to happen I think there needs to be a lot more leaders being willing to, to speak up and to show the way on this stuff rather than just falling into in. line yeah yeah so I'm hopeful. But that's what we're here for. We're here to keep shining a light on some of that and calling it out when we see the good and the bad. We hope anyone listening will do the same. We're, we're on Insta and Twitter now, should anyone wish to join the conversation. <laughs> Love that little plug. Love that little plug <laughs> at how to take the lead. <laughs> right, to wrap up, this was a meteor first episode than, than I had envisioned. I've obviously got really poor at my chairing skills. <laughs> I apologise, dear listener. 
um, I will promise to do better in the future. What we've hoped is that the listeners have missed us so much between series that they're going to stick with us for a meteor first episode. So to wrap up, as we always do with our how-to at the end of the episode, so how, if if you're listening to this and you're a leader and you're thinking... Well, hopefully you're thinking, oh my God, there's so much, but there's so much opportunity. (laughs) Let's reframe it as an opportunity to move in a different direction. How can you start to refresh or rethink your own leadership approach at this moment? I think that reframing is actually a really good how-to because we have been able to delve into some of the lows of leadership at the moment I think and actually it's right it's about reframing that I think it's reframing where you're at as a leader to think about where do I want to have impact what one thing can I do today that's going to have the biggest impact for my organization whether that's my workforce or my customer base I think get back into that frame of mind uh, reset think about you know really trying to understand what will make a difference for people and how you can act on that and I also think there's something about how can you use your singular voice as a leader to come together with others to maybe do that lobbying piece and really stand up for what matters at the moment for your organization. I would caveat that when we talk about reframing we're not talking about spinning we're not talking about false hope or anything that that tries to belittle or um, disbelieve what people are going through but it's actually instead of thinking there is no hope looking for the opportunity to do something absolutely I just wanted to make that point because I think some leaders think that they have to do the whole you know Let's get our hockey sticks and pull our socks up and we'll be fine at the end. It's <laughs> <laughs> very Enid Blyton. Uh, I would add my how-tos are if you're not getting out and speaking to your staff, set some time aside to do that now. I think it's really important that you are truly understanding the mood in your organisations and your understanding in in detail the impacts that are happening and you're not just taking one case study or what you hear on the media or what you're hearing from government as as the say so if you're not taking action look at, to take action and we've we've touched on this already today but prioritize well-being prioritize the well-being of your teams but prioritize your well-being too because as a leader there's a lot of weight on you to show some vision and some hope and that can get quite heavy at times. So make sure that you're taking some time out and looking after yourself. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you're the first to receive new episodes when they drop every Thursday. If you enjoyed the show, please rate it or leave a review. Visit housetakethelead.com for all the info from today's show to catch up on previous episodes and to sign up to our mailing list. And we'd love to know your thoughts and experiences on the topics we cover. Follow us at How to Take the Lead on Instagram and Twitter to get involved in the conversation. So until next week, get out there and take the lead.